Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Forced to use the world and force it to be of use for its own good, of course, to great corporate interests which he serves, is apt to become associated in people's minds with all that is materialistic. He is judged by his sterner qualities, which very likely are but a small and even acquired part of his real nature. It is to get relief from this oppressive image of one's self, as well as from the harassing preoccupation of one's profession, that such men take refuge in things of purely abstract beauty, my particular pleasure being, as you know, in that exquisite land of the ideal which the old Japanese masters have so beautifully preserved for us. Ah! From a pile of prints before him he lifted the first. I said, ah, too, though all I saw was a flat-simpering Jap lady, backed by a soft little mountain cone and a lake of blue mud. Hiroshige's wave! exclaimed the boss. I knew that would touch you, that wonderful tone of blue. Is it not exquisite? And the draperies, masterly, are they not? Look at Fuji, Fujiyama, of course. Such color harmonies, such a peculiarly quiet and refined scale of color. Miss Massey, I told you that the Mikado has a better collection. But I must ask pardon of this glorious Katsukawa, or perhaps Yasai, that delicious colorist. There is nothing finer in the world than those old kakamono. You agree with me? I, I was dazed. I would have agreed with anybody about anything. Is it possible, I said to myself as I sat there listening to him expatiate upon his yellow-red series and his quintet in gray-brown tones of Hakusai and Kosakanakoa and the delectable lot of them, is it possible, Rhoda Massey, that fate would play you so grotesque a joke as to keep you here listening to such stuff, and on this evening of all evenings when the one man in the world is about to swing on an uptown car and... But I couldn't. I couldn't think of Ted. Quickly I turned back to the pile of prints with the crepe paintings interspersed. It was getting smaller, fortunately. But still the boss's voice droned enthusiastically on. Yes, it was genuine enthusiasm. He meant what he was saying. Whatever else it was, it was fun to him. But to me and to Ted. A rap at the door came to deliver me, and Bassett left me to look over his precious prints while he stepped into the next room. I looked over them. Oh, yes. I lifted one flimsy sheet after the other, and all the time, for I determined I would wait no longer, 
I was framing the question I meant to put to him when he should come back. But I didn't put that question. I didn't. For, you see, as I lifted the last little banner of crepe framed in bands of silver and golden network, with ornaments of ivory depending from its silken fringe, I found Channel's editorial in proof on U.P., and beneath it was the most exquisite color harmony in the world, to me. Only this one wasn't Japanese. It was good straight-out American. It was typewritten, and the revisions and corrections in the margin were in red ink. A duplicate, an almost exact duplicate, but for a change here and there of that same betraying document, edited by Offield's own hand, that I had had in my possession that very afternoon. Ah, tut-tut, what a blunder! I heard the boss's voice from a long way off. The sight of that precious paper again had made me weak, almost faint with the sense of achievement. A blunder, though? And was I the blunderer? Did he intend— How unfortunate, Bassett went on, lifting the papers from before me, that this long-lost document should turn up just now and here. I had no idea this thing was with the prince. But now I suppose I must take you into my confidence, Miss Massey. A young man from one of the newspapers brought me a stolen copy of this editorial, hoping, I suppose, to profit by some unwary expression of my natural indignation against its author. Of course, I promptly refused to treat with him. Of course... I murmured, to fill in the pause. Naturally. But after he left, my mind began to hark back over our dealings with the news, and I recalled then that two rough drafts, somewhat dissimilar, were sent us for our acceptance, both revised by Mr. Offield, the understanding being, of course, that both were to be returned to him when negotiations were concluded and the final contract drawn up. I thought both had been returned, but in some unaccountable way this one must have been mislaid among my prints. It is most unfortunate. I deeply regret it. But since you have seen it, it would be useless to deny it, and I know I can rely upon your discretion. Still, my dear young lady, I regret the circumstance for its effect upon a youthful mind like yours. It is not good to deal with depravity, to be aware of it. You shall not touch pitch. In the interest, as I have told you, of this great corporation, I am in daily contact, in hourly danger of blackmail. Miss Massey! Suddenly the veil dropped, and his cold eyes fairly blazed with fury. I swear to you my wrist is tired signing checks for Offield and his like. Look, here is a demand from a southern paper. It needs new presses. And here is a northern one that wants a linotype machine and here in the city is one that must have a color press, and here is another that begs. Begs what? Why, ammunition, thinly disguised, to be used upon ourselves as soon as united power comes under fire. A graceless herd of traitors they are, these newspaper proprietors who shamelessly put themselves up for sale, who pull at your coat and smirkingly try to catch your eye and force their venality upon your attention, yet who will not stay bought, these new inky horse-leeches' sons with their eternal. He stopped suddenly. My heart seemed to stop beating, too. Could he, could he retract after a thing like that? Eh, my dear young lady, he said softly, 
lifting the bundle and preparing carefully to put away his treasures. I throw myself upon your mercy. All that has passed between us, all that I have said, is confidential, is it not? Thank you. I had been thinking of it all just before you came, and for distraction I turned to the prince. I would advise you to do likewise. Cultivate some pure, unworldly interest that shall solace. I didn't hear the rest. How could I? As he lifted the package of prints and turned to place them in a cabinet in the wall, a sheet of paper fluttered down on the table before me. The last sheet of the pile it was, THE sheet, the only one that could have any value for me, the paper that should rehabilitate Ted Thompson and— And that made Rhoda Massey blush for her stupidity, and wonder whether Bassett didn't think her reputed cleverness overrated so unpardonably slow and dull she had been that he had had to perform twice the miracle of accident and twice affect absent-mindedness before she understood. "'Rhoda,' Ted whispered, drawing my hand inside his arm and holding it there as we walked up street together. Brockington and Lowenthal came down on the same train that I did. They talked all the way of— "'You'd no business, Ted Thompson.' I interrupted, trembling. You'd no business judging me by a harder standard than you'd have for any man reporter. Oh, yes, I had, sweetheart. You yourself have proved that I had, he said softly. And I had, because you know, you never were a reporter to me, Rhoda. At least it's so long ago that I can't remember when I didn't think of your living up to a standard as high— as high as the unworthy heart of man can create for the woman he loves. Loves, Rhoda. Loves, loves, loves. He had said it under his breath, but the whole town seemed to be ringing with it. Teddy, I sobbed, keep it, that standard in your heart till, till I grow up to it. And then, beloved, he murmured, his smiling tenderness hushing me as though I were a child. Will you reach down and help me up? Wives do, you know. We didn't speak for a time after that, but as we walked home under the stars, Ted listened to me and my story in that way that's his own, so full of sympathy, so acutely interpretive and understanding, you hardly realize that only one of you is doing the talking. It seems so like a quiet but complete collaboration. And there was a mist in his eyes and a note in his dear voice, when he spoke at last, that set the whole world a-singing. To me it seemed as though living had been a dumb poem that found its voice in the music of loving. End of chapter 14 End of a Yellow Journalist by Miriam Michelson Recording by Leanne Howlett